morning, everybody, or good afternoon, everybody, and welcome into Two Man Game here on ClavesOnline.com. Rammer, how are you doing today, sir? It's a beautiful day, and uh, it's March Madness, and everything is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Everything is wonderful. So we're going to talk a little Billikens basketball today. Obviously, their season ended with a uh, semifinal loss to VCU in the A-10 tournament. So they're not going dancing, also not selected into the NIT. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Billikens and also give some of our more positive, fun first thoughts as the NCAA tournament technically underway with the first four, uh, two of the first four yesterday, the other two first four tonight, and then obviously Thursday. So we'll get, help you get your, your, your first round bets in and maybe some last bracket picks in later on in the show. But I didn't think we need to dive in, obviously, to that loss against BCU and kind of a little season review of the St. Louis Billikens. So let's dive into the most timely thing, which is, of course, a bad loss, obviously. Um, it, it turns quickly. They come out the gate. They get an early lead against the, against VCU, 5-0. They could have extended it, but immediately things start going wrong. It turns in VCU's favor. St. Louis cuts it close, you know, from about a 15-point deficit to a, you know, a six-point deficit, uh, you know, two-possession two deficit going into the half, and then coming right out of the half, everything completely falls apart and derails, and you have a little bit kind of a cosmetic comeback late in the second. Your thoughts kind of not overall in the game. I really kind of want to get your thoughts on that, you know, in-game, you know, 10-minute span, the last five minutes of the first and the first five minutes of the second. Kind of your thoughts on Slew getting back in the game and then immediately letting it slip away to start the second. Yeah, because it gave you some hope, turned out false hope, that you just couldn't sustain it. Um, VCU's VCU on both ends of the floor were – I think the word I would use for them is relentless and the Billikens just couldn't hold up to that kind of intense play, um, which is frustrating. Uh, but, and so as you point out as an overview there, that VCU is just tougher, more athletic at every position and tougher. And, and I, I think that kind of, you know, brings us to the larger, you know, question, the problem, which is, is that, you know, how big of a problem is that? Is it a disappointment that at the end of this season, with all the expectations we had going in, and again, you talked about it, I think it was two or three podcasts ago, how much of that expectation question is our, our own fault. But when you look at, you know, when, when that's your final conclusion against the best team in the A-10, and it's clearly that there's a gap between the two, does that leave you disappointed at the end of 2022-2023 for the St. Louis Billikens? Well, the season is a disappointment, but – it's still a it's a good season, but a disappointment. Both things can be true. You won 21 games. You had some nice victories over really good teams. Um, you couldn't beat the best team in the league. You you would like to have thought that you were going to be the best team in the league, but you weren't. I kind of liken it to you're counting on getting an A. You need an A, but you end up with a B or B minus. Still good grade. But it's not what you expected. It's it's not what you uh, think you should have gotten, and you just didn't either study enough, or or you weren't as prepared as you needed to be. But a B is good, but you expected an A, and I think that's what this season was. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think the the biggest reason why that's a problem is, is, is I think the biggest problem for the St. Louis Billikens this year was was obvious, and, and if you if you went and watched them in games, it was clear. But for me, it was the very first statement I think I had 
when I was watching this team before they started, before they even went to Italy. And I was watching like, like the second practice, I think. And my, my comment was simply, they're not really a great defensive team right now. And that never changed. They had one of their worst defensive years, obviously, in the Travis Ford era. But going back and looking at it, it's one of the worst defensive years they've had in the last 20, 25 years of St. Louis basketball. Uh, if you look at some of the numbers, just you know, points, uh, points per game and those kind of things. So they were a bad defensive team. And that's why the George Mason game and having such a great defensive game and, and a game plan that was so perfectly executed and really covered for some of your faults and accentuated some of your strengths. That's why that was such a big deal and why making those adjustments in that game was such a big thing to me because I think that's the biggest disappointment if you're looking at St. Louis is it doesn't feel like there was enough adjustment. Now, to be fair, of course, to St. Louis, between them, again, not being a great defensive team at the start of the year and them not being a good defensive team at the end of the year, you also lose Fred Thatch. And, and so you never, or you're never able to have or you don't have your best defensive player, especially on the perimeter where you had most of your problems, the entire second half of the season. And so you have to take that into account. But I do think if you look at the numbers for Travis Ford, his teams have been trending up offensively and down defensively over the last three seasons. And we saw this year kind of both the highs and lows on both ends. Which is not unexpected when you look at personnel. No. Not if you all. look at personnel, you go, oh, yeah, that kind of figures. When you lose two of the best defenders the program has ever had in Goodwin and French, I'm not excusing it because it wasn't addressed personnel-wise, but it's understandable. Big difference. Yes, and, and, and I'll get and so put put a pin in that thought really quickly because I also want to get into the other big thing, which is St. Louis's inability to capitalize and then hold on to leads, um, and, and seemingly play not be able to come out of halftime with that mentality to win games. And again, that, that that's a little bit more ethereal, not a hundred percent. You know, especially that second part, a little bit more. You know, can't grasp mm. it. It's a little bit more of a question. But nonetheless, I think that's what most people saw from the Billikens this year, especially in some of those big games they weren't able to win. Looking forward, does that tell? Is there an issue with you that that's one of the big problems this year? Is that a bigger systematic issue potentially when you have a season in, in, where a team cannot finish games and isn't making? It seems to be the adjustments in halftime that you want to see consistently. Now again. We over-accentuate the games where it doesn't happen and, and almost never talk about the games where it does. And, and maybe that's a case of kind of prisoner of the moment here. Um, I don't think that's a, a question you can answer yes or no. I think um, were there games you didn't close it out? Yes. Were there games that you sort of got waylaid coming out of the locker room at halftime? Yes. So I think the, the best way to do that is to go through and say, okay, in this game, why did this happen? Mm -hmm. And once, and then, then when you're done, see if there are, there are trends that are, and some commonality between some of these incidents. So I don't know if I have a good answer other than I think to really find an answer, uh, peel it away a little more and look a little deeper to figure out, yes, those things happen. That's obvious. Why did it happen? The best, everything I can remember from those games, almost the the underlying, the common denominator in all of them was sloppy possessions and and turnovers. That that was yeah. That's that's what almost every single one of those games, including VCU, it's a great example. It, it was sloppy possessions 
and, and, and most of the times they would lead to easy turnovers. That's the biggest problem. And so that kind of, you know, and so when you, when you see yeah. that as the issue, I don't know if that's something that you can put on, uh, you know, a halftime, you know, a halftime adjustment or, or, or coaching part of the, or coaching mentality kind of thing. That's, that's my read on why they had those issues. Because I think, Mainly because I can't. It, it, it would be ridiculous of me to try to say, well, the, the, the mentality in the locker room at halftime is off because I have no idea. Yeah, and then how would that – if that was the thesis statement, how do you prove it? Not because, well, look, they turned it over. So in the locker room we said, nah, we don't care about hanging on to the basketball this half. Well, that's silly. Um, and I would tell you a lot of times under intense pressure – the team tried a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think to their de- detriment, you know, different ball handlers, getting Yuri off the ball and pulling that double team with him and do doing some of those things. So I would contend that often adjustments were attempted in those situations with a modicum of success. That's fair. Yeah, I, yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. And and so I'm, I'm gonna, and, and this is kind of the big question that that people have been bouncing around. I mean, you kind of talked about this a little bit. Neither one of us really agrees with it, but I'm gonna change the question because I think just asking should Travis should Slew continue with Travis Ford? Should Travis Ford be fired? First of all, Chris May said it on Frank Cusimano's show um, on the on the Hollywood Casino press box on Five Ninety The Fan that Travis Ford's going to be the coach of this program for a long time. Again, anytime an AD or an owner or a GM, what have you, says something, you got to take it with a little grain of salt, especially when you have a bad loss in between that conversation and the conversation we are now having. But nonetheless, I think it's pretty fair to say that one game wasn't going to shift him from he's going to be the coach of this team for a very long time to get him out of here right now. And so I'm going to ask a, a different question, which is, is Tra- the question is Travis Ford – the right coach to take the Billikens back to the NCAA tournament. That's that's gonna that's essentially how I'm going to phrase it. And and the reason why I'm going to bring this up is Chris May's biggest point when he brought it up was recruitment and, and, and Travis Ford's ability to build a program. And I know recruitment rankings aren't everything in the world, but the bottom line is when you look at the consensus across every site that ranks these things, Travis Ford has recruited nine of the top fifteen recruits in the last 30 years of St. Louis or 25 years of St. Louis basketball. And for a long time there in the 2000s, they were consistently ranking from anywhere from 130 to 215 in recruiting. Travis Ford gets here. They have one year in the 150s. And every year from there, it's been a top 100 recruiting class. So when you talk about what Chris May said and his answer, those are the, those are the facts behind it. And when you look at just – and, again, I know 20-win seasons aren't what people want to want to hang their hat on anymore. But if you would, if you look at the fact that 2020, the season got – 2019-2020, the season got, that, that got kicked short because of COVID, when they were 14-7, and seven, that 667 winning percentage is the second best in Travis Ford. So they're probably a 20-win team then. That would mean that five straight years Travis Ford had won 20 games for the Billikens. Again, things could, go, could have gone terribly wrong in the spring of 2020. But we were watching those games. I doubt it goes that badly. And so essentially we're talking about five straight 20-win seasons, a couple 23-win seasons in there, out of seven years, five out of seven. That's monumental compared to every other coach 
before him going back to – I went back to Rich Grower. You know, Grower was three for 10 when it caused 20, 20 game se- 21 seasons out of total. He was three for 10. Spoonhauer was three for seven. Um, Romar, 0 for three. Soderberg, one for five. Majerus, two for five. And Cruz goes two for four. Obviously, we know the situation he was dealing with with, the, with who, was, who was building the team. And so I don't want to get bugged down in a, this is the St. Louis pass, so stop asking for more. Because, and you said this earlier when you were on Frank Cusimano's show, you have to just look 120 miles down 70 to look at the ability of the right coach to turn things around. And so, with the facts ahead of us as to why he will stay the coach, and if you look at Kansas State, it's another great example of a, of a team really getting turned around in one year by a young, effervescent coach. If you, th- you take those things, we, the facts we have, and the examples we have very close to us, and then I think the question, and then I, that, that's kind of my basis right off the bat of the question, is Travis Ford the right person to take the Billikens back to the tournament? Well, I, I can only answer it with another question, which is, I know, annoying. So I'm guilty. If you, if, for people who are annoyed, guilty. I'd want to I'd hear more specific reasons why he's not. And I think that's an easier way to break it down. Um, you, uh, uh, you mentioned Chris May talked about recruiting. And I'm trying to get you, you threw out, first of all, let's, let's be clear. The rankings are opinions. Yes. So you use the word fact. I'm not trying to pick on you. That's fair. And I'm not, even though I nitpick for a living, I'm not trying to do it here. Those are some other guys' opinions. Yeah. They're probably right most of the time. I don't know. Here's the deal. Rarely do people go back over two or three or four years. Like four years ago of the top 100 recruits, how many of them were top 100 players after four years? Maybe all of them. I don't yeah. know. No, there, was there's, it 100? It, was it 10? Was it 50? I don't know. Because even in even in the other stat I mentioned, nine of the top 15 St. Louis recruits have been the tra- in Travis Ford era. Um, you know, that's – you know, Cartier Gordon's one of those guys, you know, who do, who obviously didn't, you know, produce on the court for St. Louis very much. Where was Bonner, Anthony Bonner ranked? Nobody uh, recruited him. It was SLU and SIU Carbondale. He's the greatest Billiken of my era. So now that's obviously that's an example. That's an anomaly. Yeah. I'm not saying disregard. I love it when they get highly regarded recruits. It's fantastic. Um, but I just think we got to be careful as using that uh, as facts. Um, you brought up some coaches who did some quick turnarounds. That's why I think this would be a key year for Coach Ford and the staff. He's already he's got a, a, a good group of sophomores coming back. He's got uh, three incoming freshmen that I am very excited about: um, point guard, power forward, center, and a center. Um, very excited about all three of them. Mm-hmm. And then without question, the transfer portal will be how you measure this team one year from now. Yeah. And it's funny. What happened in the transfer portal yeah. and how did it, how did it produce in the 23, 24 season? I'm telling you right now, that'll be the beginning and end of the evaluation. Yeah, and, and and that's that's kind of what I had gotten to when I was thinking about this question. Is, is is I know it sounds, you know, it sounds you know like a cop out to say, well, just one more year, just one more year. 
But you know, especially because it, because of, of the expectations people had for this year, a lot of people said, "Well, this was the one more year." But it, it's when you look at those two turnarounds. I love that you mentioned that too, because look at Kansas State, look at Missouri. Just the crap ton of transfers. I mean, Dennis Gates shipped just pretty much picked up all his graduate students from Cleveland State and said, "Let's go do it again somewhere else." And he, and, and you know, he had some solid you know recruits and, and Kobe Brown sitting there waiting for him in Columbia. And, and you saw what he was able to do. And so that's a, that's a really good point. And that's kind of where I hit as well. There's no doubt that there was disappointment this year. And there's no doubt, in my opinion, that the big issues in this uh, on this team were from both a coaching system and player level. And we just talked about, you know, not being prepared defensively from the coaching level. And we talked about the entire season. Wait, wait, wait. Not, where did we talk about not being prepared defensively? Not, Sorry, I didn't mean I didn't mean prepared X's and O's. I meant I meant um, personnel. Personnel. I meant I meant recruiting. Yes, because I was just talking about how they've done a good job recruiting, and so you have to then say that well, there's a hole in your recruitment when you can't get a defensive player, you know, and you were going into the season essentially saying your best perimeter defenders are Fred Thatch and then maybe Kellen Thames if he can play as a freshman. So I, I didn't want to say schematically. I, I or or TJ Hargrove, who did a nice job. Most Terrence Hargrove did, did great, and he's and he's going to be the starter next and year. And Yuri Collins be became became an All Conference defender. Yes, he, yes, he did, he, and just one of the best off. Honestly, an All Conference defender, and, and one of the best off the ball defenders I saw the entire season. He was incredible, um, hounding guys off the ball about, and but, all denial and things like but that. But it wasn't enough. But it wasn't enough, and, and and so. But we also talked about issues where clearly the team wasn't executing the defensive scheme to their best ability either. And so and so yeah. that's why at the end of this season, and heck, if you would have asked me two years ago, I probably would have been in, in the more in the more extreme system in the more extreme side of camp because I didn't like what I was seeing from the Billikins X's and O's. That changed this year for me. I thought we saw a much more sophisticated offense. And I think again, you look at the numbers for St. Louis, and this has been Travis Ford dialing in an offensive scheme with guys like Yuri Collins at the head over the last three or four years. That's why you saw it Four year, in in eighteen nineteen it was sixty nine points seventy one seventy three seventy five it was a, it was a, it was a slow build but again the, the defense didn't come alongside it and that's why they were a solid if not great team and that, that was, you, that's why they were a solid not great team I, I didn't think we'd be good defensively and I I my disappointment is I thought we were not as good as we should have been offensively I think this team should have scored ten more points a game. Damn, <laughs> that would have been. I I think the highest I saw was Spoon Spoonball got an eighty point team out there one of his years. But I don't think I've ever seen a Slew Billikens team score over eighty over eighty one well, points per game. Here's the thing: I don't care about all those other teams. I know. I'm just saying. I'm saying that would have been that would have been a blast to watch. That would have been. I, I just I had the I had the numbers historically. Well, in my look head at the games when the Bills scored in the eighties. They were really fun games. Yeah. Um, and I'm not. I don't play the blame game, but we'll use. I think it's fair to talk about disappointment. Yeah. And I think if you go start going through game logs, I started doing this, but then I realized why torture myself. But go, you start going through game logs, and you see remarkable inconsistency of players. I'm not going to call out names; it's not important to me. But if anybody really wants to grind out, well, where's the disappointment? What are you talking about? It's unbelievable inconsistency up and down um one of my favorite things to do in prep for games is see who's hot 
you know, look for scoring trends, rebounding trends, that sort of thing. And many nights it was hard to get a positive trend on players. Um, look at Gibson Jimerson, um, arguably one of the best two, probably inarguably one of the best two or three shooters the Bills have had in the last 35 years, 37 years. Um, but he could be taken out of a game. You can take you could take Michael Jordan out of a game, but are you willing not to guard Scottie Pippen and Kukoc and everybody else? But um, so look at go look at the uh, the three VCU games. First game he scored what was it 24, 26, something like that. It was a loss, but he was lights out. Well, as obviously VCU said, Gibson Jimerson is not going to beat us. Mm-hmm. And guess what? They didn't let him, and they still won. So not being able to pick up for each other. This goes down, this has to go up, and it just didn't happen. The inconsistency um, was 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 consistent. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's good. And, and just looking at here, just look, looking, just you know, again, not not trying to call him out. I'm just saying when Gibson Jimerson had when he was quiet. They, that, that's when they lost, a, a, you know, when he had a, a, a single-digit game, they lost seven of their 12 games. And here's the other thing that I – it broke my heart. He's such a good guy and a good player. He'll make – if he wants to, he'll make money playing basketball probably for a long time. Um, I'd never seen it in four years. He had an inexplicable shooting slump for nearly a month. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Because the guy works and works and works. Where did it come from? But the Bills lost several of those games that they would have won had he had an, uh, a, a typical Jimerson game. I'm not blaming him. Nobody picked him up. That's what a team does. One guy's down, the team lifts up. Didn't happen. Yeah, and so and so I'm with you on there. It's going to be interesting to see how they build this team out. Like you said, right now everything's up in the air on 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 you know the seniors and the COVID years that they not have. Really. I, I, not, not really. Not really. I think, yeah, I think we They're know what's going to. Yeah, I think we know what's going to happen. They're all, they're all going to be leaving. So it's going to be a very different St. Louis team. And now the question is, again, if Chris May, one of the things he's going to talk about, he talked about this when, when they hired Travis Ford seven years ago, and he talked about this um, 10 days ago. It comes down to his ability to recruit and build a team. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of room to build a team now. And if, if that's going to be one of the things, a feather in his cap, then he's going to have to, it's going to have to be a, a, a much better, more well-rounded build build team next year here's what i think the loss to maryland the loss to iona the losses to vcu i think uh they've got to find a couple of nba players in the transfer portal and they got to be big guys and they can you can you get tyler burton a lookalike i mean that's what you need yeah. a six seven six eight um world-class athlete who can shoot who is practically unguardable and I think they're I, I think they'll be inexperienced in the middle, but have depth with a seven footer, a six ten, and a six ten. But I think having a power forward um who's really a load, a guy who is um when you look at him, you know, this is this is this will be a guy who you expect double digit rebounds every night, who's unstoppable in the post and or a stretch for like a Rob Lowe from 12 years, 10, 12 years ago, who's 6'11 
and can play 6'11", but also can step out and shoot a three. Some combination of those kinds of things. We say, well, yeah, everybody'd love to have that. Well, those who get it will be good. Those who don't get it won't be as good. To me, that's the challenge. I think the guards are going to be good. Oh, one other thing. They need an experienced um, an experienced point guard to go with the incoming point guard medley. So you're not asking a freshman to play 35 minutes a night. Let him learn on, with an experienced guy. Split those minutes up. Um, when you're under intense pressure, you've got a veteran to go to. I think that'll be critical as well. Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to be talking, you know, as those transfers roll in throughout the offseason, we'll be talking about some of those. Right out of the gate, though, I, I want to mention, uh, you know, not breaking news, but again, Nick Kramer has entered the transfer portal. I thought that was an interesting move. That kid's going to go to uh, that kid's going to go to like a Valley team and score like 15 points per game and hit like 63s like four straight years. He's going to he, he's going to he's going to do great wherever he goes. He's going to light it up. He's, he's, he's a good athlete. And I think it's going to be fun to see. Look at it this way. Let's just just for conversation's sake. I still want to play where my parents can come see me. Lindenwood, SIUE, SIUC, SEMO, Missouri State. Can you see Nick playing at all those places? Yeah. I can see him so, bombing. Like I said, I can see him taking making 63s across his next four years of eligibility. I have to year. assume that he's going to be just fine. Yeah, absolutely. And so we'll be talking about those those Billikens move as they come. Before we go, Rammer, I want to get a couple of your thoughts on the tournament because I, I like the way you yeah. threw this down on your show High Noon with Nate Lucas. You guys have a, a thing. You can't call it an upset or if the betting line is within five and a half points. And I love that mainly because right out of the gate with the Mizzou matchup, it's, one, it's a great example, all the tens are higher rated in Ken Palm than their seven matchups. And so and a couple of them are going to be our favored, uh, the 10s are favored in the betting. So if Mizzou would to lose, it wouldn't be an upset because yeah. despite the 10 to 7, they're actually right now the underdog by a point and a half. I'm not a gambler, but we all know the Vegas guys are the smartest sports people on the planet. Yep. In fact, they should have a representative on the selection committee. Yeah, I like that. That's Here, here's, the, here's, the, here's why we came up with this. We can't, as sports fans, bitch every year about the <laughs> seedings being ridiculous and then turn around and use them to gauge the matchup. Exactly. It, it's, that's dumb. So, well, what would be an upset? We threw out some numbers. If you're, if you're a, a five-and-a-half-point underdog, okay, that's an upset. But if you're four-and-a-half, uh so that's the number we went with. You may say four and a half. Another guy may say six and a half. So we kind of split the difference at five and a half. But I love that's where you put it because if you check the lines and, and just for reference sake, I use I use a Fanduel.com, Fanduel.com sportsbooks for their lines. That's just just so that everyone knows where I'm getting from because I think it's perfect because um, two two of my favorite first round upsets, quote unquote, by seeding are VCU over St. Mary's. And Kent State over Indiana, but both of those are, are are four and a half. And so the fact that the fact that I immediately I saw those, double checked the numbers and went, that's a great matchup for that team. And I saw, and I went straight to it and I saw, well, that's plus four and a half. The fact that I was able to scope out those as potential upsets that easy tells me the four and a half, the five and a half split is a very good number for that reason. Well, thank you. And and I think you know we just got and and 
my radio partner, Nate Lucas, is a degenerate gambler, self, self-styled. Self-styled. And, uh, and I, so I kind of get the hang, and over the years, you kind of get the hang of things. And I've been pretty good over the, over time, kind of predicting what a spread might be. And, uh, though I never bet, I never bet. Um, the, uh, and so I think that seems fair. If, if, if you say, oh, that's, that's two points too high. Okay. But the, the thing is, I think it's a much better gauge than the seeding numbers. That's the point. Remember, I, I get a feel like you're like somebody who you're worried that like, if you bet, if you started winning, you wouldn't be able to like, you get, you catch a bug and you'd be like, I can't, I, I gotta be, I gotta keep being right and keep getting money here. Or maybe just, I think maybe, or, or is it that telling Bob Ramsey he's correct by giving him money is a slippery slope. Very slippery. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay. It's Vaseline. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, I, I didn't want to throw out um, by your standards, then the upsets I do think are actually good right now. Uh, you talk about with Frank too, which I think is hilarious because he has a personal issue uh, with the, the Iona UConn game because uh, um, St. Louis Connections, the Calcaterra family, obviously, they got yeah. uh, their, their, their son plays, um, on, or his cousin, if you're depending on who you're talking about, uh, plays for UConn, but then you have Rick Pitino and, and Iona. Iona's fantastic. We saw them play. Every number tells me with, with the style that Patino's built there that they're going to be a, a top out for UConn. It's a plus nine and a half um, line right now. For Iona, again, I think that's a pretty good number. And I found these two exactly on your marker, and I'm happy because I already have them penciled in to my bracket for wins. Uh, a friend of mine asked me, why do I keep seeing uh, Furman over Virginia on every single website? And I told him it's because it's going to happen. Also, I think yes. that it's, it's, it's also because every website's using the math numbers, and the math numbers are goofy because Furman takes a crap ton of threes and plays at a fairly high pace. And Virginia does not do either of those things. And so the, I, I, the formula might be a little bit broken, but I still do think just because classic, you take a lot of threes, you make a lot of threes. That's one kind of like kick I give to lower seeded teams on how they can win games. It's good exact, point. And it's the exact same thing with my other one, which is going to be Charleston over San Diego State. Also a five and a half point line. Thank you very much, Rammer. I got it in just under the line. That's another one. They bomb threes. More particular with Charleston is they have a super low um, turnover rate. Because when I'm when I'm picking up sets, I look at three point shooting, turnover rate, and free throws. And, and Charleston hits at least two of those. And so that's that's another one I like overall. Right out of the gate, Rammer, do you have any over that plus five point five line that you're looking at? You know, I haven't really looked at that, but looking at your categories to make those picks. Um, this is this is just a generalization, and maybe Charleston beats this one. But often, if you're a big time three point shooting team, you tend not to get to the line as much as teams that have more of a balance. I just need good percentage. I just need a good percentage. That, I don't. I don't need the highest rate. I just need to make know that you can hit them when it comes down to it. Yeah, but night after night after night, if you're a box score nerd around the country. You'll see teams with a with the volume of free throws winning games, mm-hmm. um, and and so you still got to get to the line. If you hit a bunch of threes and don't get anything, you better hit all of them, and that that could be a real problem. The other thing about teams that rely on it on a given night, and this is what we're talking about, a given upset, that team absolutely can beat anybody, but they're not likely to make a long run. Because somewhere along the line, they'll have a cold night. 
Exactly. And here, here's my thing. We were just talking about uh, those those 10s over those 7s. One of them is a local one. I know for a fact that you are up late at night watching those West Coast games that not yeah. a lot of other people do. Mizzou pulled one of those West Coast teams. I looked at the profile. Utah State, they're a lot like Mizzou. They don't, they don't force the turnovers or turn it over like Mizzou does, but they put up points like Mizzou does. Your thoughts on that Utah State matchup for the Missouri Tigers, which, again, has them right now as the underdog by a point and a half. It's got an opportunity to be one of the, I'm serious, one of the great games of the tournament, of the entire tournament. That could be, that could be a 98-95 game. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and, and, and I'll, 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 the heart palpitations will go right with it. It'll be fantastic. Um, the, uh, the announcers will, will be breathless. Uh, it, that could be, if both teams are on, it could be one of the most fun games of the tournament. And I'll throw a bone to, to the Mizzou fans, um, which obviously I, I am. I honestly think, because you, you, you get you get the bum, you get the you get the nine seed, or you, you get the uh, seven, I should say, and all of a sudden you got to face a two uh, in, in the second round, better than having to face a one as the eight seed. But still, I honestly think Mizzou drew the second best they could have as, as their two seed. Texas would have been the best draw, because I'm kind of iffy on Texas, because and what I saw from them early in the season, and they fired the coach. I'm iffy on Texas, bottom line. Arizona plays at a super high pace, and they move the ball like crazy, which means there's more opportunities than not for Mizzou to hit threes and force turnovers while Arizona's trying to move the ball maybe too much. Again, hmm. any team that's a first or a second seed is not going to turn the ball over a lot. They're going to be a very good team. They're going to have an NBA athlete or two on their roster. And so the ability to outpace them and out frenetic them like Mizzou wants to is low. And so you need a team, in my opinion, that is naturally playing a higher paced game alongside you because it creates more opportunities. But you got to rebound. Go look here. here, Go look at last night. They have a monstrous Christie and Simo. Why did Simo lose? Now there was the big disparity in free throws, but here's talk. This goes to your point about rate okay corpus christi got a lot more free throws but simo all they had to do was hit a higher percentage they hit a a a normal considered good rate they win the game but why were they in that position because they couldn't get any defensive rebounds and when they can't get rebounds they can't run they can't get the pace they wanted and here's the thing. This is why there's probably somebody screaming at the screen right now when they heard me say I like the Arizona matchup for Mizzou if they can get out of their first one because Arizona starts starts twin towers yeah. at six foot eleven in Tabellas and seven foot in Ballo and Mizzou has no size. And so here's my point though. I think if you're Mizzou, you want a team that is playing that much bigger than you, more than a team who's already playing four out with an undersized center because they can run with you. And again, I'm not saying Arizona plays small. They're not a plotting team despite that size. Um, I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah, Tabellas can hit, Tabellas can hit threes and they got a lot of good guards. Courtney Ramey's there. I love watching Courtney Ramey play. My point is that if you're going to play the style Mizzou has, you have to accentuate it and you have to get as many possessions as possible because it, because, because what it means is it means more chances for you to hit a three it mean more chances for them to make a dumb mistake and turn it over. This is why this is why Virginia is a volatile team come the tournament because there is no volatility. Because they play such a low 
amount of possessions. I think it holds against them. And while on the other hand, I think Mizzou can do better if they're playing more possessions. It plays into their style. So people are going to see the size and they're going to be scared. They're going to be scared. But again, you're not beating anybody with size anyway. So put that out of your mind and, and, and run like, run like hell for 40 minutes. You got to play your game, but you got to, you, you, you've got to execute. No doubt. My last thought, if you're building your bracket today, my personal opinion, Rammer, if Sasser's healthy, it's Houston's to win. Obviously, the fact oh. that they obviously the fact that they get the home field advantage should they make it to the title game uh, is a big factor. I mean, when you're a team like Houston, anytime the, the, the journeys are the harder part than, than the final game, maybe. And so, if you have home field advantage, it certainly helps. But if Sasser's healthy, if they get him back, maybe in the second round, I think it's Houston for me because. Unlike Virginia, their defensive dogs while not completely slog, while not slowing down the game too much offensively. They'll they slow down the pace, but they still move the ball and they still try yeah. to score. And so that's Very why athletic. that's why I, I lean towards a defensive team like Houston, assuming they have the one guy who makes their offense a lot more dynamic. Yeah, my pick, and we'll talk about it well before we get to the championship game. But my pick now, and I'm certain I'm going to need a uh, a wrestle back around you know, after these first two games to redo a bracket, but uh-huh. uh, I'm boring. I got, I got Purdue KU. The more I just watch them and I'm just really impressed by both those teams. And Man. I think it'll be, um, they'll have, I think they have to beat themselves to lose. Yeah. I, I you know, I mean, when KU lost, uh, when, when KU lost, you know, they had multiple players going the first round. I was like, okay, cool. They're not going to be as good. And then, and then they, William Wilson decided that he was going to be an absolute freaking monster the entire year. Grady Dick decided he was going to come out of nowhere and, and, and jump up draft boards like, like no one's ever seen. Like that, that shocked the hell out of me. So Kansas being as good as they are, they're absolutely going to be a danger. I like that you put Purdue in. Uh, Zach Eady's a monster. Um, and, I, and I would love if Purdue won because I, I love Matt Painter. Yeah. I'll never forget the moment where everyone in Columbia uh, was watching Jets um, you know, on Twitter accounts and stuff like that, because they thought Matt Painter was coming to Columbia, Missouri, um, and and now watching him potentially raise a uh, win, win a title. Um, I know I have Dennis Gates, but still, it's going to hurt a little bit. But but I'm rooting for him anyhow. So, Me too. so I, I think Purdue is going to be an interesting storyline throughout this tournament. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. That is the two man game. We're going to be back later this week with more. I should say early next week with more tournament talk here on Claves Online. Rammer, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we let you go, tell everyone about our wonderful friends over at Royal Banks of Missouri. For over 60 years, Royal Banks is bringing you the service you've needed. Uh, Every branch, as they've grown over all these decades, feels like your hometown branch. St. Louis proper, Eastside, St. Charles, Northeast Missouri, each and every one has the motto, it's Royal Banks where better service means better banking. Rammer, we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks, buddy. And we'll talk to you later, St. Louis. You have a great rest of your day. This has been the two-man game on ClaysOnline.com. As one of St. Louis's fastest-growing companies and largest private companies, St. Louis Acura is proud to serve you and remains committed to becoming better than ever for you. As new Acuras become more available every day, we are not backing down from selling 100% more quality pre-owned vehicles than ever before. We want customers that appreciate our friendly, outgoing team and our award-winning service because at St. Louis Acura, we are better than ever for you.